um, getting creative in how we schedule our time too um, and prioritizing on our calendar what activities are important to us if we don't put them down they're not going to happen i'm big into weekly planning and all of that so um but it is so unique to each individual situation i think remembering that there are ways though is important absolutely i think you've heard a few things i hadn't even thought about the getting like friends involved and taking turns that's absolutely genius like that, again because what you do with a partner so again, if you don't have a partner involved then actually you know get get again another mum so you you're basically sharing the load i think it's a fantastic i hadn't even thought about that Welcome to the Prime Life Project Podcast, a place to help you unlock your full potential, both mentally and physically, to become the best version of you. Welcome back to another episode of the Prime Life Project Podcast, a place to help you both mentally and physically become the best version of you. Today, I'm very excited to be talking about a topic that I've not actually spoken about before. Uh, my guest today has gone through postnatal depression and it's something that I've never spoken about before on the podcast so I'm extremely um, pleased to actually be talking about this because I uh, having conversations with a few people recently that have struggled with this and I know it's not a conversation that um, women do openly talk about but then when they actually do they realize a lot of other people struggle with it as well and they kind of like suffer in silence so I really wanted to uh, approach this topic today uh, with my guest who is Jill Wright so Jill Wright is a mom entrepreneur had to make sure I got that right mom entrepreneur turned life coach her passion is helping other busy, overwhelmed and exhausted mums reclaim their connection with themselves so they can participate joyfully in their own lives again. And again, this is recorded post-show. So the actual episode, we kind of go off on loads of different tangents. But if this is something you've struggled with and you are struggling to see the light at the end of the tunnel, this is definitely a must-watch or listen podcast. And as I always say, if you think anyone could take any value from today's episode, please like and share it with a friend to help us spread the word to help as many people as possible. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Jill Wright. Hey, good morning. I'm great. How are you? I'm very well, thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much for uh, speaking to us so early in the morning. I know it's 6am for you. I can see it's still dark outside. Uh, mm -hmm. So thank you very much for actually talking to us so early in the morning. Uh, like, absolute pleasure to be chatting with you. Um, we're going to be talking, like I said in the intro, uh, about a topic that not many people openly talk about. But I think it's really important we go back to your story to discuss it, to then give people hope that there is a better future. So can we talk about what made you want to actually help mothers because of postnatal depression? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I experienced postnatal depression with my second child. I didn't have, I had the normal sort of baby blues with my first, but it was all normal. It's your first kid. You don't really know what's normal, what's not. You just sort of power through. And then when I had my second, um, a whole bunch of stuff for me happened all at the same time, which kind of amplified everything. Um, so I had my second uh, child. My first child was diagnosed uh, with autism. Uh, I was starting a brand new business and the pandemic <laughs> decided to come around and throw a wrench in everything I was doing. So I found myself uh, very much stuck at home as we all were, um, but with this mounting sort of um, anxiety and depression that I didn't know was getting as bad as it was. I didn't have any um, external uh, people coming in to be able to say like, Jill, things are getting weird here. Like you need, uh, you need to take a look at what's going on. And so I didn't realize until it was well into it, which is I think the case with a lot of moms 
you power through and you're tired and you're like, this is part of it, but you don't realize until it's too late. And then most moms, when they reach out for help, if they do, they're well past the point of, I need this. We're, we're strong and we, we just tackle it all and take everything on. But when we're finally ready to ask for help, we're broken. Mm. And we, we need to be pulled out, not just elevated, but like brought back to, to surface level. And so um, it took me a long time and a lot of effort to go from a place where I just was crying all the time, didn't know really what was wrong, knew something was wrong, wasn't happy, couldn't control my external circumstances um, to a point where I realized I have to control internally what's going on because there's so much out of my control in the world happening right now. Um, and I did a lot of research into personal development and mindset and got way down a rabbit hole and realized none of this stuff is geared to moms. It's all, um, you know, old white men who are giving me, they're wealthy and they have free time and they don't have the same lifestyle that I do. And so I became really focused on taking that information that I really wanted to be able to implement in my own life and find a way to make it work for my life circumstances. Mm. Um, and so that's really where the brand of Grow Like a Mother came from, is taking personal development tips, tactics, theories, and tailoring them in a way that's accessible for a mom who's either a working mom, a stay-at-home mom, a new mom, mom with lots of kids, like we're all different, but we all have some of the same restrictions and challenges with our current life cycle. I think that's a, a real key thing. We're going to obviously talk about the whole self-development stuff for mums. So that's the whole premise of the podcast. But again, I want to deep dive back into the, the postnatal stuff for a second. But one thing I want to touch on is, as you mentioned, about the self-development world mainly being geared like from white successful males again completely get that like 100 percent, and it's an interesting thing uh even as a, as a as a young white male as well you're looking around and it's a bit like there's not really much representation for women the women are starting to get more into it because as you sort of mentioned it's, it's a big thing where again women are a lot more in, in tune with their energies and stuff like that once they're sort of shown how to do it they're a lot more intuitive um I'm also then aware of that then and starting to step up which is great so i think the generation now that's coming through is a lot more diverse again You've got people from loads of different backgrounds taking up, which is absolutely awesome. But correct, the old school is literally just old white males. And it's like, okay, like maybe I don't want to be rich, which again, that's what's mainly geared towards. And it's like, there's other ways of level, um, measuring success rather than it being financial. So I'm really glad you pointed that up and we'll pick it up in a second. Now, let's just go back to this, this uh, postnatal depression. Um, you mentioned here that you didn't know that something wasn't quite right. Do you think had someone come to see you that they would have picked up that something wasn't quite right like what what were the kind of symptoms and stuff that you were experiencing mm -hmm. so yes and no um i think that for me personally not intentionally i was projecting the impression that everything was fine and i was holding it all together and even though i felt like i was drowning many people told me that and people who know me well said that they didn't see that and so I think that's something to be aware of that we don't, even if we know someone and love someone, um, we might not see what's really happening sort of beneath the surface with them. Um, they might not be trying to hide it. They might just be, you know, really good at keeping it together. Um, for me, some of the things that I experienced were just extreme tiredness, but past a level of exhaustion, past the normal level of what happens with the newborn. 
um, you know, you hope in in a situation where there are two parents present, you're both equally tired. Like you're going to be tired. That's just part of it. You've got a baby up all night. Um, but it was to the point where every I would have like my dad or my mom come over solely so I could go to sleep, not for them to visit with the baby or for me to have a break or time to myself. Every minute I wanted to be in my bed mm. and just sleep. Um, something else that was a really big indicator for me was I would just cry for no reason all of the time. And I've experienced some depression and anxiety in the past. It's not postnatal. Um, so I kind of knew, um, but I couldn't identify whether it was caused by being tired or if it was something more. So for example, I would take the babies for a walk. I had a double stroller because one was two and one was brand new and I would walk the neighborhood. Um, and so as I was walking, I would just bawl for like, and it didn't matter if people were coming by, like I couldn't stop myself from just crying all the time. There was one Thanksgiving dinner. Um, I was with family and my husband's family and my kids were around and everyone was behaving great. There was no reason for any distress. And I just started to cry at Thanksgiving dinner and had to get up and walk away. Like those are abnormal um, reactions. Um, so that really let me know that something else is happening here. Um, I found myself very irritable, um, always sort of reactive, um, resentful, a little bit quick to anger more than my normal. Um, so if you start to notice little personality shifts like that, or you feel a little bit out of control of your reactions, that's a really good indicator too. Mm. Um, but it's tough because so many of those can just be symptoms of being exhausted new mom. I think, I think the reason giving. is that you'd already had one child, you kind of had an idea. And the key thing yeah. for yourself as well is that you'd gone through depressive spells in the past. So you kind of had a bit of an idea of, hmm, this wasn't quite like this in my last pregnancy. And this kind of mimics what was kind of going through before. So you kind of had a bit of a roadmap. I think this is where the problem with this is, is that most mums, if they don't have either a previous child or any experience with mental health, depression, anxiety, any sorts of those things, they're very unaware of what's going on. And as we mentioned before, mums don't talk about it yet when you open up you realize that loads of other mums have experienced it and no one was talking about it which i find absolutely bizarre is that something that you found yourself that once you started to talk about it you've had loads of other mums say that they experienced it as well mm -hmm. for me personally one of the ways that i work through things just in my personality is talking about them so i was always really open about it um and i think one of the problems i experienced even being open about it is i would get reactions like oh it'll pass or yeah we all feel like that that's part of it or oh seems like everything's okay like you don't look that bad and so it would be here I am it, trying to express and um, really make people aware that this is more than just difficult um, and the reactions were like oh you know being a mom's hard yeah we all go through that and so that's a bit discouraging I think for people who are brave enough to talk about it if it's not something that naturally comes to them as a way to to deal with things if they're hesitant to speak up or express any sort of um, what they might consider like a deficiency or something like that then they get met with this dismissive sort of talk from well-meaning people um, so that makes it difficult, but a lot of my friends, um, once they heard me talk about it, they did open up about their own experiences. And that's something that really helped me want to keep 
talking about it and keep helping moms because I realized not only was the majority of people impacted in some way, they knew someone or they experienced themselves, but they looked at me like I was a super human mom and they were like, but you're doing it all. And it, like, you're running your business and you've got your two kids and you've got this, that, and the other thing happening and you're still dealing with this. How is that possible? And I'm like, I'm not dealing well with anything. That's why I'm talking about it. So mm -hmm. I think I wanted to break that image that, you know, like, yes, there are strong moms and yes, there are strong women who can handle a lot of stuff, but that doesn't mean that it's not crippling, you know, like we still need to recognize that there's, there's a very real thing happening, even if it appears to people on the outside, like everything's fine. Mm -hmm. So we need to sort of say, it's really interesting you said that because the last guest I had on was a, a former police officer and you said the exact same mm -hmm. thing. The fact that obviously from the outside, everything looked amazing. And I even said that with my depression, it's like being a functioning alcoholic. I believe you can be a functioning depressant, but basically you, especially as a new, new, um, uh, new mum, you're like, got to put this mask on, like basically show the world that you are a good mum because you know, if you're struggling, then quote unquote, you're not a good mum. So you've got to put on this big thing and you've got a business. So you've got to show up there and there's all these things you've got to put on all these different masks, but then no one really sees what's going on behind closed doors. And I think that's the key thing with depression is it hides so easily. It's so easy to hide it but only you know really how heavy that mask is that you're having to put on every single day. Um, one question I want to ask, I don't know the answer to this, but, um, and I'm not sure if it's prevalent in a lot of women that suffer with this, but um, did you notice a disconnect from this second child? Because um, a lady I was talking to, I said off air, she mentioned that she felt a complete detachment from her child, like it almost wasn't hers. Did you experience that? Is that a common thing that you know about, or is that just uh, in special uh, situations? I definitely uh, have heard that that's the case because it can be uh, like a coping mechanism almost. Uh, for me, yes and no. My And what made it almost worse for me was my second child was very needy. She wasn't able to be calmed by anyone but me. She required me all the time, which I think heightened everything for me. Um, because as people, no matter if you're a mom or a man or whoever you are, you need space and time for your own self, right? Um, as moms, part of the problem is this, um, we get like touched out, you know, like people are always on us. Um, and so when you're in a state where you just want to be by yourself in bed, that can, that can really compound things. So I didn't experience um, necessarily a disconnect in terms of a connection with her, but I definitely felt... Um, a resentment mm -hmm. so it was very much like mm, it's hard to describe it really but um it was also for me very different because my first child I didn't know that he was autistic but he was very um he was not an, an affectionate kind of kid like he didn't like snuggles and he didn't you know so it was just a whole different experience for me um but I can see how easily that would happen be like that someone would feel like a, a detachment mm. as a coping mechanism yeah it, it, isn't it interesting I feel like like you sort of mentioned there it's a case of um again it's overwhelming overbearing for you but again quote unquote you to be a good mom you've got to love your child unconditionally and you sort of feel that it's I think there's a lot of this stuff here where there's a lot of pressure especially obviously dads get it as well and I think the key thing with this is like dads go through their own stuff as well and it was really really interesting uh, I went to see a comedian I'm not sure if you're aware of him uh, Daniel Sloss uh, I went to see him live uh, last last two weeks ago three weeks ago and anyway part of the sketch that he was talking about was um, his wife she gave birth and he said again it was part of a joke but there was obviously a lot of seriousness in it about with childbirth dads go through a lot they see the person they love go through the most excruciating traumatic pain 
they see them essentially in all their blood and all that sort of stuff and then just expect it to be fine and the guys don't really talk about it and it's quite traumatizing so again it's interesting like i know that it's sort of different for uh, for, for the male and, and the female but for right, right now what you're saying here with this i think it's really interesting that actually women are meant to be like super mums all the time and you've mm -hmm. got to love this child condition and you've got to be perfect on and it's just completely unrealistic so before we move on to where you're at now because one thing i want to sort of pick up on here is is, is, is there any lessons that you learned from that experience that you think someone that's struggling right now might be able to use and utilize because again there's not much help out there for postnatal depression most people don't really know they're going through it so now you've come out the other side and you've worked with a lot of women is there any advice that you could sort of give and lessons that you've actually learned through going through that yeah absolutely and the first one is hard for women in general is that you it, you need to ask for help earlier than you think you need it and doing that doesn't make you less understanding where you need the help is something that we struggle with and so it's okay to say i need help but i don't know how i don't know what i need um and you'll realize that people want to help you and they also don't know how and so you can work through that together because there's going to be people who feel like hey i know a lot of us will hear like if there's anything i can do you know let me know but the mom doesn't know what she needs um and so it's okay to say i don't know what i need but i let's you know Let's think about what this could be together. Um, so asking for help is not a shameful thing. It's so necessary. There's a reason that they say it takes a village. Mm -hmm. um, people aren't built to do anything by themselves. And um, I think we need to remember that right now, especially in a society where it's very, um, very sort of masculine in the energy that we live in. It's go, 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 it's power through, it's, you know, um, we're not living um, intergenerationally anymore. There's not built-in support in our households. So there's a lot of factors that put us at a disadvantage and make us feel like asking for help is weakness. Mm -hmm. um, so I think shifting your perspective around that and making it the norm. The problem is that sometimes women don't have access to help. And so we need to get creative on where that help comes in. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's a whole other rabbit hole that we could go down. But asking for help um, for sure was a big lesson because it's much harder than it than it sounds. Easier mm -hmm. said than done. And another really big lesson that I learned is that um, you're really in control of your thoughts. And as much as you feel out of control in this experience and you you feel like everything is swirling and you can't put your finger really on anything and it's a bit of a haze and a fog. Getting control of those thoughts is really how you start to get um, control of your life back. And so um, that in and of itself is is a whole big big process but it well, let, let, with... let's, let's let's talk about that yeah let's say so you're gonna start yeah. with, let's go down that, that that rabbit hole because i think this is one of the biggest things again i've mentioned it a few times in previous podcasts but one of the biggest things that changed my life especially when it came to um taking control responsibility etc etc and ultimately changing the direction of my life was taking control of my thoughts people hear that and they don't understand what that means so can you sort of explain like because i'm assuming this is something you do with your, your current clients and stuff so what does that process kind of look like because again you know what it's like before you've heard any of this stuff. Someone say, yeah, take control of your thoughts. You're thinking, what the hell are you on about? So can we just strip it back to literally the bare bones? Like, what does that actually look like? Yeah. Um, the first thing is you need to get quiet so you can hear them because there's so much noise around in our lives, in our heads, in our physical spaces. 
it's noisy. And in order to really first hear your thoughts and understand what they are, you have to listen. You have to make a conscious choice to get quiet and just tune in. Um, and we don't give ourselves that space very often. You have to intentionally take the time um, and it, it doesn't have to take extra time. You can do this in the shower, right? Like it doesn't have to be an hour set aside to meditate. Like moms don't have time for that. And nobody has time for that. Um, until you see the value of that activity, you're not going to prioritize it. And so in the beginning, you need to find ways to work it into your normal day. So starting with a shower is a great way. Uh, you know, moms are often like, oh, I don't even have time for a shower. Take your shower. Take your shower, you know, first off. Um, that's a first step in prioritizing yourself, but that's also a good place to just let your thoughts quiet and hear what's happening in your head. And once you can start to hear the inner dialogue, you can start to notice patterns. And I think that that is a big place to start because if you can see that there's a pattern of you saying to yourself, I'm so tired, I'm so tired, I'm so tired, or I hate this. I can't wait to bedtime. When is someone going to help me? Whatever the thoughts are, if you can identify that, then you can reframe it and shift it. Mm -hmm. And so that for me is where it started. And it almost affirmations were really powerful for me. Um, but just identifying what the thought is that's harmful or triggering or um, it serves you in some way. Mm -hmm. That's the hard part is that it, it serves you in some way. And so there's resistance to change it because it feels comfortable, right? Um, but even just for a day, trying when you think that thought, now that you've identified that it's happening because you've taken the time to get quiet, it's just saying the, the opposite or reframing it. So instead of saying, oh, God, I'm so tired, you could say, I have more than enough energy to do what I need to do today, you know? And you're not going to believe it in the beginning necessarily. Um, and that's the interesting part about our subconscious brain is that you don't have to believe it right away, but the thoughts that you're um, thinking and the words that you're saying, they're all being processed um, by the subconscious brain and it will start to believe what you tell it, no matter what, if it's a good or the bad. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, isn't it? Like the, the, the subconscious can't accept or it can only accept, it can't reject. So whatever you plant in there will grow. And it's interesting, a few things you absolute golden nugget says which I want to sort of like break it down for the audience the first thing is like taking time because I've read down here when you're talking about meditating and I thought to myself oh I know what I know straight away what the audience the mums are like oh I don't have time so I'm really glad you addressed that saying take time like make time just for a shower again you, there's ways around that you have to prioritize just yourself you'll just feel better just having a shower and as you mentioned there with the, the, the mindfulness meditation it's not about sat there in on, on a stool in silence you can do it with noise around you it's just because all you're doing is turning inwards. Like, and it's, uh, I learned an amazing, uh, someone said something to me uh, years ago, basically saying, if you can go to like a football game and be mindful and actually listen to your voices there, that's what it's all about. Cause it's really easy to do when it's quiet, but actually when it's really busy and noisy, if you can just turn inwards and start to listen, that's, that's an absolute art. So again, getting quiet, absolutely fantastic. And you can hear your thoughts and then recognize patterns. Like our thoughts are patterns. We basically think the same thoughts every single day. And if you're not aware of it, your thoughts over time then become your beliefs. So again, if you're saying to yourself, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired, you will then believe that you're tired, even when you're not tired. So it's then starting to actually question, well, am I actually tired? And it's also being aware as well. I think this is a key thing as well to just be your thoughts are valid. But it doesn't mean that you have to accept them. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't want to try and change it. I love what you sort of said there. It's like, so you see this negative, but what's the polar opposite of that? 
And then, as you said, I've got more than enough energy. And what you're doing is you're going from a disempowered state to a completely empowered state, which again, just that five minute shower, you go in negative drained, you then come out refreshed, you've washed away the negativity. And now you've got this new positive affirmation where it just gives you a bit of hope, which I think a lot of mums need because it can feel, I imagine, I can feel like it's never ending. Yeah, exactly. And I think the the task of getting from where you are to where you want to be can feel so mon monumental. Um, it can feel like so far away that the key thing to remember also is that it's just one thought at a time that you're changing. It's not everything, right? Um, and just like when you're trying to change a habit or accomplish a goal, it's always one step at a time. You don't need to know the whole road. You just need to take the next right step, the next thought that you want to change, practice it, get good at it until you believe it, and then move on to the next one. So I think that that's a big one, too, is that when you're trying to make a change and you're so desperate to get out of the state that you're in, it can feel overwhelming and impossible when you look at where you want to be compared to where you are. So changing our perspective to where do you want to be tomorrow is a little bit easier for us. Mm -hmm. well I mean, even just at the end of the day isn't it it's just like just just rather than looking so far ahead it's just like right how can i just be okay by the end of today and then mm -hmm. tomorrow and it's just slowly built up it's like how do you become a millionaire well one pound at a time or one dollar at a time like it's you don't just suddenly wake up and have this thing it's there's like a process to it and you can't rush that process and especially if you've never done any of this stuff before you're going to suck at it it's going to be hard but actually this isn't just about you being a newborn uh mum it's like actually there's so much more to it for the rest of your life which we're going to talk about in a second um you talk you talk a lot about driving uh the bus of life like driving your own bus i absolutely love this so uh what do you actually mean by that about actually driving your own bus because if we're not driving our bus then who is currently driving it yeah um this is sort of the the pivotal thing that i realized um is that we're in control of um not a whole lot in life. There's a lot of external stuff, but we're in control of our reactions and we are in control of the direction that we take our life. Um, and so that's what I mean by we're driving the bus. We are the one at the wheel making the decisions every day. We're making the, we're taking the actions, we're making the choices. Um, and so if we can empower ourselves to recognize that as truth, like, yes, actually taking a bit of responsibility too is hard. Um, but if you are not the one making the choices about what is happening, where you're going, what you're thinking, who you're surrounding yourself with, um, then you are at the complete mercy of your external circumstances. And you're basically passing the baton to anyone and everyone who thinks that they have a better idea of your life than you do. Um, and it's the same thing, I think, with like asking for advice from people. We fall into this trap a lot, not realizing that we always know the best answer for ourselves. We give the microphone to somebody else, but they might have a different um, perspective or agenda or a different level of consciousness that they're coming at it from. And so they're not in our shoes, but if we allow them the opportunity to make the decisions or give the advice, we're losing complete control and we're going down a path that isn't necessarily meant for us. Do you think that people do that because they don't want to take responsibility? Meaning if they've got a decision to make, they know the answer. But if I then ask you for the answer, you then give me an answer. If it then goes wrong, I can be like, see, well, it wasn't my choice. Do you mean it, it's, it's not, not my fault? Do you think there's a little bit of an element to that as well? Yeah, um, it's both. I think, I think we're looking for validation. We're not able to self-validate, even though we we know. 
So we're looking for someone to tell us that we're right. Or um, what you said, we don't want to trust our instinct. It doesn't feel comfortable. It feels unsafe or scary. So we're looking for somebody else to give us direction that feels safer. Mm. Um, and yeah, if it doesn't work out, then your mind says, oh, well, you know, that wasn't my decision. That was somebody else who was guiding me. But at the end of the day, you're actually still the one driving the bus. So <laughs> it's a hard, it's hard to reconcile in your mind and you become even more um, hazy and foggy and confused if you're not making your own decisions. If you're giving your power away, your brain doesn't know what to do because it's, it's, it knows that you're in control, but it's trying to assign a credit or blame to an external source and it doesn't reconcile because that's not how it works. That source is never actually in control. It's a big scary thing when you actually realize that you have complete control of your life. And again, obviously you can't control things around you, but you can control your reactions and also your attitude towards life as well. It's a big scary thing when you've, you first hear this, because for me, I take complete responsibility for my life. Again, was it my fault I became depressed? Not necessarily. However, there was a lot of signs that led to that. Now, again, as mums, I understand there's a whole host of the factors there. So I'm not for a single second saying that it's the mum's fault. But for me, I take responsibility for my life. So again, for newborn mums, it's not necessarily their fault they're in the situation, but they can, and they are the only ones really that can do something about it because they're the only ones that really know what they need. And I think nowadays we're taught not to listen to our intuition. Like we 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 have that gut feeling, we have that little voice, and it's 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 different to other voices, it's different to the thoughts, and we just kind of like oh, shh. like we just, we just don't want to hear it, and that's the hard thing now that when it comes out and you need that voice because we've kind of turned it down for so long. We don't actually recognize it when it's there and we don't kind of know how to listen to it and how to go about it. Is that kind of the case? Oh my gosh, yes. I'm I'm uh, preaching intuition right now. I've just done a podcast episode about it and, and a workshop. And I think the thing about intuition is it doesn't need to fight for your attention because it knows. It doesn't need to prove to itself that it's right. It just knows. It just is. It's the highest truth. And it doesn't have to prove that to you. And so it's not loud. You know, your ego's way louder. <laughs> and so... The, the problem with us not getting quiet and listening to our thoughts is that we're not giving our intuition a, a chance to speak to us. Um, and if we're not in the habit of listening, then we don't feel confident that we know, A, that we're, we have control of what's happening and that we always know the right next step for ourselves, even if it doesn't feel comfortable. Um, but I wanted to just go back real quick and touch on the the thing that you said about how it might not be your fault or your responsibility of what's happened to you. The circumstances can bring you a depression or mental health in, you know, we are not in control of so many things in the world. We get um, <laughs> some cards dealt to us that we didn't choose often. Right. Um, so taking the responsibility away from that, but keeping that piece of responsibility, it says, well, what do you do with that card? How are you going to play that hand? Right. Um, and I think that we can all get overwhelmed and fall into a victim mode where it just feels too much. And that really perpetuates because if you're in that mindset of feeling like this is happening to me, then you feel out of control. You have zero personal responsibility or power that you've been given to yourself. And that's where we get in trouble because it's hard to reclaim that. I think that's a big, you, you're 100% completely right. And that, that's that's the biggest thing I'm trying to say to people is you can, again, the victim mindset that whatever you want to call it, because some people don't like the word victim mindset, but whatever you want to call it, the disempowered mindset, whatever it is, it feels really good to beat on that drum for a little bit. 
But yeah. the more you beat on that drum, all you're going to do is attract people that have the same limited views as you, the same victim mentality as you. And then before you know it, you just sat there in a band of people that are completely disempowered, retelling themselves the same story. And it's completely disempowering. Like you have this problem or this thing that's happened. If you focus on this thing has happened, it is negative, And that's all you're focusing on. That's where your energy is going. But actually, if you're like, right, this thing has happened. What can I do about it? Because again, it could be 99.9% someone else's fault but that 0.1%, take that and then run with it because you can do something with that and it just takes you off that I can't do anything mentality to, right, where's the opportunity? How can I grow? How can I learn from this? What can I do to, to shift my life, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And as I'm sure you know, I'm not sure how you feel about this, but for me, I say that depression is the best thing that ever happened to me because without it, I would have carried on living completely negative like thought patterns cycle and I would slowly just gone downhill until I was 50, 60, 70 years old, realizing that my whole life has basically been wasted. But I had to kind of just jump off a metaphorical cliff, hit what bottom to be like, oh dear, I've got to do something about this. But it's really empowering. All these negative things that happen, actually, if we look for the opportunity, there's real growth in that, especially as a new mother. You've got this, this, this newborn baby, whether it's your first or your second, whatever it is. If you can do that work on yourself and figure out you, it then allows you to show up better as this child actually grows. Again, I'm not a mum, but is that the kind of thinking behind this that actually you look after yourself, you put on your oxygen mask first, and then you could actually show up better for your child or children? Yeah, I believe that. Um, definitely. I think that there's there's not only a baby that's born, um, there's a mother that's born too, you know? Um, and even if it's your second, third, or fourth child, it is a it's a rebirth of you. And so you have to take the time and be intentional about relearning who you are in this new situation, right? Um, and if you don't allow yourself the opportunity to reconnect, realign, and rediscover who you are now in this new role, not just as the role of mom, but in you as the person. And for me, it was like, well, who is Jill? I forget what I like to do. I forget you know, what I do for fun, because I haven't taken the time to allow myself the space to do that. Um, once you do, if you can create some space, I'm big on finding ways to create the space to separate a bit from your role of mom, reconnect with you, you're filling your cup, you're able to really like your, um, I almost think of it like a light from within that you can really grow. And if you can grow that light and feel rested and um in control of your emotions and well fed and have your like move your body and all of the things that you know are going to make you feel like you're at your best you're not going to lose your patience as much with your kids you're not going to feel like you're irritable or angry or um disappointed or discouraged you're not going to be placing as much blame on other people because you've got that personal power back uh, it makes such a difference if you can come to any role from a place of um, personal empowerment and really feeling like you're at your best, you know, because it's such an important part of my soul that I feel fulfilled and I can show up better in my other roles. With this, again, because again, we sort of mentioned here, um, and start basically going through um, the steps that basically help mothers um, drive their own bus. We sort of mentioned here about asking and reaching out for help. So we've sort of covered that one. I want to skip a step and then go back to it in a second because this is something you just touched on about relearning who you are, but then creating mm -hmm. space. So again, so I'm just playing devil's advocate here because again, I, I, again, I'm not a mum. Uh, I don't have a child. However, I work with a lot of mums and I spend time with a lot of mums. So like, okay, cool. So it's then understanding 
people can be listening to this thinking, how on earth do I create space when my partner's not giving me support? My parents live miles away. I'm basically sole parenting over here. That could feel again, overwhelming. So again, people might understand, Jill, I understand exactly what you're talking about. I understand I've got to take back control here, but how on earth am I going to carve out any of this sort of space to actually start doing this? So, so what does that look like? And what advice would you give to people that literally do feel like they're solo parenting and it is a bit like too much? Yeah. Um, first off, yes, that's valid. That's exactly most of our situations. I, I was specifically um, in a situation where I didn't have a supportive partner either. And so I completely understand the resistance and the initial uh, thought that comes up like, I can't. I can't do that. There's no way. And so what my best advice is, is to start small and create space in your mind. You don't have to create the time yet. You need to create the space in your mind and give yourself an opportunity to start playing in your head to make the changes there because everything in our reality always comes first from our thoughts. And so that's always where it starts. So taking those moments to listen to your intuition. Um, before you go to bed, yes, you're exhausted when your head hits the pillow, but put on a 10 minute meditation, even if it's like a sleep meditation, um, to get your mind calm, um, to create that space and sort of expansiveness, that feeling of um, um, weightlessness or that feeling of just calm. Um, and that's where it starts, because if if you can get yourself to a place of calm, you all of a sudden have more space uh, to deal with what's happening in your life. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is really comes down to how you manage your time. And I like to call it time ownership instead of time management, because we all have the same 24 hours, right? I don't have more time than you do, but it's our choice on how we spend our time. And there's lots of things that we can do, even if we're limited in resources, either financially or with support, um, or if time is a resource we're limited with, if energy is a resource we're limited with, there's always options. And it's so unique to each person, but there's things that we can do like um, having a neighbor, um, a colleague, a friend, if you don't have parents around, come over to your house for an hour and play with your kid while you get the dishes done, the house cleaned, or while you take that time to read a book, or have a bath, whatever that looks like for you, which is your top priority, having, bringing in the help, it all comes back to this too, um, to give you some time. If there's, I like the idea of a mother's helper where you can find someone who doesn't have to be a, even a babysitting age, an eight or nine-year-old to come and be in the house with you. You're not leaving your kids alone. You're there but the function of this other person is to take some of the weight off and some of the responsibility off for an hour in the evening or the morning or whatever works for you so that you're able to step away, remember that you're separate and put some time and energy into something that's important to you. Um, another one that works really well for um, when your kids are a little bit older, but can still be, um, you know, functional when you have newborn babies is finding another mom friend, having a mom circle is really important and that support. But if you can go to her house and put the two babies in a basket and say, you're up half an hour, you're watching these babies. I'm going to go, whatever, still in the house. You don't have to leave the space. Right. And then the next half hour, it's like, okay, I'm up. I'm watching these babes. You go take half an hour to do what you want. Right. Um, getting creative in how we 
schedule our time to um, and prioritizing on our calendar what activities are important to us if we don't put them down they're not going to happen i'm big into weekly planning and all of that so um but it is so unique to each individual situation i think remembering that there are ways though is important absolutely i think you've had a few things that i hadn't even thought about the getting like friends involved and taking turns that's absolutely genius like that, again because what you do with a partner so again, if you don't have a partner involved then actually you know Get, get again another mum so you you're basically sharing the load i think it's a fantastic i hadn't even thought about that one thing i, I didn't really think to talk to you about but actually it's become quite relevant um communication with your partner because you said you didn't have a supportive partner but however it's really early morning for you right now i'm going to assume that you don't have two kids behind you that you're balancing well on this podcast so i'm assuming that your, your partner again has understood how you were struggling and then you then communicated and he's now on board i'm assuming that's what happened um but how do you actually communicate with your partner that you do need that help because again we said one of the biggest thing is actually reaching out for help that, that's number one so if we do have an unsupportive partner and we know that they're unsupportive so it's not a case of that they're, they're ignorant they just genuinely are unsupportive they don't understand why you can't look after your child how do you go about communicating the fact that you need help with that kind of person does that make sense i'm making sense of that question yeah yeah, absolutely. Um, it's funny because I had a therapist tell me I should write a book about this because I did it in such a, a unique way. Um, my story is a, a little bit unique um, in that I, for me, I'll take you back to the beginning with how I how I dealt with it and what the outcome was. So for me, constant communication is something, as I mentioned earlier, my, my way of dealing is talking out loud and telling people what I'm feeling, right? And so for me, I was always super communicative, even if I wasn't able to express what the problem was. Um, I think that became a bit of a barrier, though, in terms of me not being able to articulate exactly, look, why are you sad, was the question I got a lot. Well, I'm not sad, but I can't really tell you what's wrong. Um, and so doing the internal work and listening to our thoughts will help us be able to articulate to the people in our life what is going on, even if it's, I'm not sad, but this is a narrative in my head to help really make it clear what's happening, even if it doesn't make sense, being willing to say the things that sound silly or um, that you might be ashamed of. Because um, when you say them out loud, it also gives your you a bit of perspective like, oh, that is kind of silly why would i think that even if you do um it puts it shines a light on it and so i think that that's really important um having that open communication all the time if the person is willing to listen mm. hopefully they are <laughs> um and i think another big part is if they can't understand with the words that you're saying giving them an opportunity to have the experience for themselves can be a little bit eye-opening too right um it may feel difficult um, or scary to, uh, if you have a partner who's not super involved, leave them for the afternoon with the kids so that they can experience what you experience. But allowing yourself and the partner that opportunity for them to be in the thick of it by themselves and do the things that you normally do without help from you. Um, that's one thing that I specifically find a lot. We worry about the caregiver when we leave. We don't worry about the baby. We know the baby's going to be fine. We're like, okay, 
if you get stressed, you know, like just put the baby down. If, are you going to be okay? Um, do you know where everything is, right? We try to baby the, the caregiver that we're putting in charge of our child. Um, and if we can step away from doing that and let them have the experience, that's going to allow them to really hopefully understand and feel what that is, even if it's for an hour or two or a day, then maybe they're able to magnify that to this is my whole life nonstop every day. This is what it is for me. Um, so I think those two things are paramount. Um, but for me, what ended up happening is that I realized that my partner and I were just very uh, different in the way that we were interpreting, right? Um, and so we had a strong enough relationship that we were able to, uh, I, ha I hate the term, but like consciously uncouple about this. And for us, the solution worked out well that we would co-parent separately. Um, and so I don't have my kids here because they're with him at his house. And so I am able to have the time and the space half of the week to do what I need to do to fill up my cup so that I can be full and present for my kids on the days that I do have them. He has the same opportunity. And now he's really understanding because he has them by himself three days a week, what it is. Mm. And so even though it's, maybe better late than never, that's how he was able to understand because he's in the thick of it. Um, certainly not um, recommending that anyone else necessarily take the same path that I did if it's not right for them. There are ways to um, to work with therapists and counselors and um, keep a marriage together if that is what's right for you. Um, but sort of being open to all the options and understanding that there's, there's different ways there's different solutions, um, and if you can get creative, if you're if you can't get on the same page with someone, then that's not bad. You know, that's not a fail. I think ultimately it's about making sure you get the best environment for the child or children, whatever mm -hmm. that is. And again, sometimes it's two different things. You've got the relationship with you yourself and your partner, and then the relationship with yourself and your kids, and then ultimately the relationship the kids have with you guys. And again, the fact you were able to come to that outcome again, fantastic. But again, people listen to this, and this is the whole point of the podcast. The point of the podcast isn't for myself and my guests to tell you guys what to do. It's to just get you thinking. So you may not have resonated with anything we've just said there, but it got you thinking, oh, I can't do that, but I can do this instead. That's the whole point. You're basically just listening to this. And by listening to these conversations, you're opening your mind up to possibilities and other things. So we're listening here again, just sharing like um, Jill's own personal story. Great. That's not your personal story. Maybe that doesn't resonate with you. It's not possible for you. But... Can you take the principles that are being mentioned and be like, ah, I can't do that, but I can actually do this. I think it's fantastic. A key thing mentioned here as well is when you started to talk and you said things out loud, you realize that sometimes it's silly. This doesn't just go for parents. Like I, I, talk, I say about it a lot. You can't think clearly inside your own head. You make things so much worse and bigger and crazy inside your own head. But then we talk it out loud, even if it's just to yourself or even writing it down, you're a bit like, Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's really easily solved. Like, okay. That's, so again, get things out on paper. It's, it's, it's really uh, a game changing thing to do. One thing I want to sort of loop back around to about, again, relearning who you are <clears throat> is about focusing on values and desires. Because again, now as a mum, you're not going to have the same values. You're not going to have the same desires necessarily. How do you go about doing this? Because I also think is a key thing here is that people have the idea that working on yourself as a new mum is selfish. Now, obviously, I know it's not, you know it's not, but they'll have that, no, no, you should be focusing everything on the child or children. Like, this isn't the time to work on you. Like, what are you doing? Like, you're being so selfish right now. 
So how do you go about breaking that misconception? Because maybe even something that you think in your own head that I can't do this, I've got to spend all my time, energy and effort on the kids. How do we go about reframing that narrative and then also looking at the values and desires that we now have as this new mum? I know it's a really big loaded question, but... It is a big loaded question. Um, but again, it's one step at a time, right? I think a reframe is that the better you can be in your own body, mind, and soul, the better you can show up for others. And so understanding that that doesn't happen without effort, that doesn't happen without time and space. <laughs> Sorry, you have to take the time and intentionally do the work if you want to see the results that you're after. And so if you go about it from the perspective that this is serving the highest good of the family, this is serving the highest good of the children, the work is in service to their experience so that they have an experience of having a happy mom. They don't need the perfect mom. They don't need the mom who's constantly attentive and uh, you know, doing everything right and dressing them in the exact cute outfit and doing the organic food. And like, all of these are good things and they might be really good for you and, and a priority. But at the end of the day, the only thing universally that all kids need is love. And we are better able to love others around us if we love ourselves. And we're not going to be able to love ourselves if we don't know who we are. And that's the work of the personal development, right? Like uh, reconnecting to like, who am I before? Like you said, your values, your desires, those are going to change with motherhood, but with every season in your life, right? We all go through cycles. And so taking time to dig in, reassess, journaling is huge, meditation, right? All these things are the tools that we use to help us. Hmm. I think it's a big thing. I, I say this a, a lot as well on the podcast and also to clients. Uh, you're not broken and you don't need fixing. You need to find yourself, forgive yourself and love yourself. And you can't love yourself until you first find yourself. Because again, if you hate yourself, you're never going to love yourself. Like you wouldn't like, you, 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 it's like when you, you hate somebody, it's like, oh, you got to love them. Well, if you hate them fundamentally, you can't just go from hate to love. Although they're on the same spectrum, like they're just polar opposites. So you can't just go from one to the other. It's then finding something that you can maybe tolerate about the person and just slowly work it through, et cetera, et cetera. So again, it's sort of going through the same stuff of yourself, but it's then asking the question, like, again, what are my needs and wants now as this new mom? Like, what do I value? Like maybe you loved sports, but now you're kind of not really into that. Or maybe you are like, what is that? And I fully believe that, again, I'm not speaking, I'm not a parent, so I'm not speaking on behalf of parents, but I feel like um, it's the disempowerment of people not realizing the control they do actually have. As you sort of mentioned, especially if you, you've got, you have got a partner, whether what that relationship looks like, you have the ability to kind of structure in things that you do actually like and enjoy. And even if you don't have that, you can still watch things on YouTube because again, the baby's just sort of sat there. You can, you can do things that may not fully meet your needs, but they're still keeping your foot in the door and it makes you feel connected with you on some core level. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, your, your desires, your likes, your values, they may be the same, but you know, they may shift. You don't know till you're there, but if they are the same, it's working in those little pieces to keep, those pieces of yourself um, because that's your base. That's your core. That's sort of the, the basis of who you are. You don't want to lose that. Even if some pieces change, some values change, the circumstances around you change, you've grown, you've changed, but there are still pieces of you 
that make you you and not losing those. Um, so if you're someone who loves to read and that's always been a, a big part of your life, but you can't sit down with a book, grab an audio book and have it in the car when you're driving to and from wherever you're taking your kid to the library or whatever. Um, if it's something that you used to love going out to experience different foods and, um, having that social atmosphere and, um, you miss that in your new role. Well, have people to your house, you know, put on the food network and try a new recipe. You know, um, there's lots of different ways that we can incorporate the things that we used to like into our time in our new circumstances, uh, and understanding that it's okay for things to shift. That's life. Life always is transitional. We're just riding the wave. We're going with the flow. And, um, if you're not, taking control of that and driving the bus you're letting your baby drive the bus and the baby's not not licensed they haven't had any training you know <laughs> like they don't know how to drive a bus so you need to be the one to um keep the control and prioritize yourself so that you can safely drive the bus and keep your baby safe right mm. this is an interesting thing that I don't know how to word this just popped to my head. I'm just thinking about someone that I know that's a parent. They won't have a clue. I don't think they listen to podcasts. But when you see people with kids that are one, two, three years old, and they're basically asking the kid's opinion about certain things. Now, again, I now spend quite a lot of time with a four-year-old, like literally um, the, the place I work off, obviously Katie you spoke to, again, got a four-year-old. So that's all well and good. Great. But they don't have the ability to actually make smart choices. So when you're out in a grocery store and you're asking, oh, what do you want to eat? It's like, they're two years old. They don't know what they want to eat. Like you make the decision for them. And then as they get older, like now that, that's, that's just to pre-frame my question. So my question with this is, do you think a lot of parents struggle because they're trying to overcompensate for stuff that they struggled with as children? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. like they, they maybe didn't have the best upbringing. Their parents were too strict and stuff. So they're now trying to overcompensate. But like, oh, well, I don't want that to be the case. So then they basically, as you said, give total control over to the child because they're not so sure in themselves and trust themselves to do a good job and not become their parents. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And there's been a huge shift in the pendulum of parenting strategy. Um, and so I think that there's work collectively to be done to sort of find that happy medium again. Um, but the idea that we are, I think it's a great idea to do our best for our kids and raise them in a way that we would have liked to have been raised and you use that consciousness as motivation. I think that that is really powerful. However, also understanding developmentally what's appropriate and what's not at each age category. Um, and so there's this book called Simplicity Parenting that sort of breaks it down into ages zero to six, six to 12, 12 to 18. And it's the first six years are, are govern phase. Like you're not the friend, you're the parent. You are the, you are creating boundaries. You are creating rules. You are helping establish um, how life is for the child. And then between six and 12, you're gardening. And so I think garden, growth, garden, govern. Anyway, something along the idea of you bring them into the experience. You're still driving the bus, but in those ages, they are more developmentally able to make decisions and learn lessons and participate. And then in the 12 to 18 category, you're able to step back a bit because you have set that foundation for them so that they know how, where their boundaries are, what the rules are, how to function. And so it's just identifying 
what age category your child is in. I personally really love to be able to say yes as often as I can to my kids because I empathize with the position of being a kid. We've all been there and you hear no all day long. You have zero control of anything that's happening to you. You don't want to go to school. You still have to go to school, mm -hmm. right? Um, you don't want to have your potatoes. They're still on your plate. Whatever the thing is, kids don't have a lot of control and they're always looking for it, which is sometimes why we see that behavior, right? That acting out, that defiance, um, not listening, all these things. And so I think that there's definitely value in preemptively deciding before you're like right in the thick of it in the candy aisle at the checkout at the grocery store. That's not the time to make the decision if you're going to say yes or no. You have to decide in advance. Um, but being intentional about when you say yes and when you say no um, within the limits of how old your child is. But boundaries really um, help kids feel safe, you know, especially at that young age because they don't know. No, boundaries. They can't. Yeah. That, that, that's basically essentially what I was getting at is the complete lack of a boundary setting. Uh, and yeah. it, you, can, you can see it causes chaos and confusion because as you grow older, again, as you sort of mentioned, at that age, kids don't have the conscious ability to think. Again, it's all subconscious. And there's, again, you're essentially programming them. That's what you're doing. So if you, the kids don't know healthy boundaries and never had that and they always get what they want, that's not good. But then equally, as you said, always saying no to them is also not good. So it's find that healthy balance and then potentially articulating to them if the answer is no, well, why is the answer no? Like actually explaining to them whether yes. they understand it or not, but you're actually explaining. So it's not just a no, it's a no because of this. Like, can I have this candy? Well, you've just had candy over there. Like we've got some when we get home. So no, you can't have it this time. But next time when we come, actually, I'll let you pick it. Whatever. I'm just amazing examples off the top of my head. But it's like not just saying no or yes. It's just try and communicate a little bit to explain why you're setting that boundary and why that boundary is in place. So they don't feel like they're just being rejected, if that makes sense. That's a big thing even at that age. Um We've gone completely over the shop here, and I absolutely love this. It's been actually brilliant. Like we've, we've gone like again, we, we've got to the like the, the whole structure. It's like, yes, this is kind of what we want to get out of this, but we've gone on loads of different tangents. I didn't even know we were going to. But where can people find out more about you? I know you've got uh, your own podcast, like, but where can people, if people want to find out more about you, want to connect and reach out to you, where can they find out more information about you? Yeah, um, I do. I have a podcast that's called Grow Like a Mother. Um, and that is where that's the handle that you can find me on Facebook and Instagram as well. Grow like a mother. And, um, I have lots of free resources on the website, which is livingwithheart.ca. So those are the best places to connect. Yeah. Honestly, amazing. I get Mikey to ping them all over the, the bottom of the screen and also the being shown notes as well. Uh, but Jill, thank you very much for your time today. It's been absolutely awesome. Thank you so much, Daniel. It's been a pleasure.